beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, can you come up in your head with a short list, an all-star team from Christianity? Some of the some of the people, the men or the women that you can think of, they're like, yeah, if I was making an all-star team, I'd want that guy on third base, I want him over on second, we need a good shortstop, however you want to categorize that. But can you think of some Christians that should be on the all-star list of Christianity? What are their common traits? You can think of a few of them and put them together. Okay, what are the common traits of these men or of these women that are the, the all-stars, maybe the, the big shooters, the, the big names, the movers and the shakers of Christianity? Well, I suggest that as we await the judgment, we'll find when we get there that we're very surprised about all of this, uh, and that Jesus says the last shall be first, and the first last, oftentimes we have no idea who the most important Christians who are doing Christian work and ministry are, because we don't often see it. You often see your pastor standing in a suit and preaching, right? You pick up the books at the bookstore, and you see the Calvins, the Augustines, and the Edwards, and the Aquinases, and whoever else, and say, yeah, they're big shooters. Sure they are. But it's up to each of us. We serve the Lord faithfully in the, in the spot he's put us, to have the ministry he's given us faithfully to discharge those duties, and by that, to serve the Lord well. To serve the Lord well and to hear those wonderful words that we long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. Now come and rule over much. We look forward to those words. The all-star team of Christianity from the first century, the very early church, we might call the infant Christian church, recently baptized by the Holy Spirit, that team has a pretty small list of people as well. We see them here in the New Testament. We, we kind of get glimpses of them. We know the Apostle Paul. right? We know Peter. Uh, we know the Apostles. And, of course, they're enormously important, the foundation of the church. But what about the other ones that we kind of don't see very much or don't take note of that the Apostles themselves, as doing the apostolic ministry, rested upon and, and trusted with ministry as well? Well, this couple in our text, and at least if you turn to Romans 16, that Paul says, Greet Prisca. And Aquila, Prisca is just an abbreviation of Priscilla, we have two of the all-stars of the first century church. Two of the people, that maybe are behind the scenes, they do pop out here and there in the New Testament, but not much, as very important people for this Christian reality that's getting going there in the first century. Right? This, the, the Christian church as she's building, not just from a, a Jewish-believing church, but finally all to, around the world to the Gentiles as well. So I'd like to consider this Christian couple, Priscilla and Aquila, and consider their heroic exploits, insofar as we can kind of make that out, which is hard to do, and finally, their church service. So what about this Christian couple? Now, we just read in Acts chapter 18 that they're from Italy, at least, well, it said Aquila's from Pontus, but they got kicked out of of Italy, so we know that Claudius, for whatever reasons, and I'm not even sure of the reasons, expelled the Jews from Italy. All Jews out. He's not the first and not the last to do something like that, uh, as it turns out, but that got them moving. That got Priscilla and Aquila, this couple, moving and crossed their paths by God's ordination and uh, predetermination with Paul, with the Apostle Paul, with Apollo and others in their ministries that we see are so important. Now, not like I say, not a whole lot is known about Priscilla and Aquila, but they are pillars of the first century church just doing the job they were called to do. We don't know if, they, if there's some sort of ordination. We assume not. 
Uh, they're not called pastors or anything like that. We wouldn't expect Priscilla to be called pastor as such anyway, though we just got done thinking about Phoebe last week, who's called a minister or a servant from the, the church at Crenshe, which is, again, the port town for Corinth. So we have the, and just as we kind of let the cat out of the back, but the people that Paul mentions first here in his list of, hey, remember me, greet these folks in Rome. Remember, he hadn't been to Rome, so uh, it's not that he'd gone there personally and, and met these folks, but he knew the Christians that were moving around, including Priscilla and Aquila. But Priscilla is the wife, and Aquila is the husband. And in Acts 18, it mentions him first, saying, okay, he's from Pontus, and, and then they came as a couple from Italy. But most of the time in the New Testament, when they're mentioned, the wife is mentioned first. It's Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila. A little bit more on that, but here just a greeting from 1 Corinthians at the very end of the book. It says, the churches in Asia send greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Another example here, just like what we have going in Romans 16, of a greeting. But this time the, the greeting comes from Priscilla and Aquila themselves. You can also look up 2 Timothy chapter 4, where something similar is said there. But this is... These are the places, these greetings that Paul has, these three greetings, and also the text there in Acts chapter 18. That's what we see of this couple. That's what we know of this early Christian couple that is so formulative and important in the development of the Christian church in the first century, yet, like I say to us, they're nearly invisible. And just take a second to think. How many Christians in that generation, that first generation, how many invisible Christians, invisible to us, not even seen to us, are faithfully going about their daily work, faithfully going about their weekly work, faithfully going about worshiping the Lord, making Christ known. We don't know anything about them. And yet the church develops and grows by God's work in them. We have this maybe celebrity sort of feel to Christianity where we want the big names, like the big shooters. Yet God calls each of us, whether we're big names or big shooters or not, to be faithful where he's put us and that he will use us in our ministries as he gives them to us. So be encouraged in that because the church thrives on faithful Christians living faithfully by God's grace. Not just the high profile ones, but all of us. Well, speaking of high profile, when they're in Corinth, they, they met Apollo. Right? So Apollo comes, they said, the, the English Standard Version says he's competent in the Scriptures. The older translations say he's, he's mighty in the Scriptures. And that's a wonderful description of a man, isn't it? To be mighty in the Scriptures, to know the Word of God. To have spent time not just reading it, not even just thinking about it and what it means, but memorizing it. John Owen was that kind of guy. One of his, one of his friends said if you pricked him, he'd bleed bibline. He just bled the Bible. It just came out of him. That's just how he was. And Christians, we should be like that as well. But here's Apollo, knowing just the baptism of John. So he's kind of not up to speed yet. He's not understanding the fullness of the new covenant. Though he's headed that direction with the ministry of John. And Priscilla and Aquila, this, this mighty public minister, take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. Now that should come to mind. A couple things should come to mind with that. One is, is it appropriate at any point? For a woman to instruct a man in spiritual matters? Yeah. There's Priscilla instructing Apollo along with her husband. Now, it doesn't say because they took, they, they took him aside. It's not like they stood up in the congregation and said, wrong, and you know, did this kind of thing. It was to take him aside and say, oh, here, you, have you, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of room for that, and there must be. There must be. Right? And I think this is maybe a burden we need to think through and work a little bit. We're going to 
considerable more this morning, but what is, if we say, based upon what the Word of God says, that women shouldn't hold office in the church, does that mean that women have no ministry in the church? And you have to be a blind fool to read the Scripture and say, oh, well, they don't have office, so therefore there's no ministry. There's all kinds of ministry for each of us, men, women, boys, girls, old, young. But we also want to make sure that the offices of the church are what God says they should be. And so just because we say the scriptures say women shouldn't hold the office of pastor, elder, overseer, or shouldn't hold the office of deacon, it doesn't mean there's no ministerial work to do. Or there's no diaconal work to do. There's all kinds of work to do. And there's even the work here of Priscilla with her husband taking Apollo aside and saying, let's, let's fix your theology a little bit. Let's work on your doctrine and get it fine-tuned a little better than it is. That's one hand. And on the other hand, you have the humility of Apollo to say, oh, good, thanks. I'll receive that. I'll grow as you come and tell me this thing. And you know, I'm sure it's just like the Brian's Bible in hand, thinking about what's going on and trying to understand this wonderful new covenant revelation in Jesus Christ. But Apollo himself is humble to receive that instruction and grow by it. Are you? Are you humble enough to receive instruction from whoever has to give it? And say, this is the word of God. This is God's truth. And bow to it. Certainly Apollo was, and Priscilla and Aquila, this couple was the one, the couple in God's hands, to instruct the great Apollo, who would continue to go and minister the gospel, even more fine-tuned and accurately because of the ministry of this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. So Christians, I tell you, official status, being in office, a pastor or a deacon, and we really believe in three offices, generally a pastor on the one hand, elders, and a pastor is an elder, and, and a deacon. But these are the offices that God's given to his church. He doesn't have, as we read the scriptures, archbishops and cardinals and this kind of huge array of, of that. But we do see these offices, and we want, to, we want to make sure they are what God says they should be and be faithful to that. But you don't need to be in office to have a powerful Christian ministry. You don't need to be an elder to be a faithful, even in elder responsibilities. The word pastor means shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Takes care of the sheep, right? Takes care. He's, he, his, his mind, uh, or her mind, as far as just pastor, you know, as a, as a father, as a mother, are you pastoral? You bet. As, as, a, as a co-worker at work, and you know, you maybe you have younger guys you're working with, there, you have a pastoral tone, you, you kind of help try to lead them and shape them, of course. Everyone has pastoral ministries, but it doesn't mean everyone should have the office of the pastor. Okay, so I think there's, a, there's a, a, a misstep we make where we say, okay, well, the Bible limits these offices in the church to men, which it does, that therefore there's no ministry around those for women, which it does not. There's all kinds of ministry around that for women, just not the official ministry of the church. Right? So God's given each of us our own context, our own relationships, and call us to faithful ministry within those. But also to make sure that the offices of the church are faithfully maintained as well. So office is not needed for powerful Christian service. Female faith and action in the church have always been indispensable to Christianity. Female action and ministry in the church, and again, I don't mean official, like having the office of the pastoress or something like that, that's not what I'm talking about, but female ministry in the church has always been not just kind of nice, not just kind of, it's absolutely indispensable that we have men and women faithfully being men and women and doing their work in the church and outside the church as well. And so it's important for us to realize that office is not needed for powerful Christian service. 
Women are needed for the testimony of the church of Jesus Christ, just as men are, just as boys and girls are. God's called us all into one body. He said, you're all forgiven of your sins just the same in Christ Jesus. You're all my children just the same in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. All these divisions that you humans make among, each other, among yourselves, they don't even count when it comes into Christ Jesus. We're all brought in just the same. But as we're brought in, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it doesn't mean all those worldly distinctions that simply disappear altogether entirely. You still have to operate as a man out there, and there are men in the church, and you operate as a man in your home. And, and you know, The instructions to husbands aren't instructions to wives, too, because there's no male nor female. You know, we, we recognize the distinctions, yet we also recognize that in Christ Jesus we're one. So trying to balance out that. Uh, the unity of the church, but also the, the distinctions of the people in the body. Anyway, Prisca is a, a great example for us, and so is Phoebe, although we know even less about Phoebe than we do about Priscilla, of women who are entirely important, absolutely indispensable to the church ministry, to the prospering and well-being of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this Christian couple, this Jewish Christian couple, that comes by God's providence into contact with the Apostle Paul, and aids him in his ministry as well, which we'll consider now. Priscilla and Aquila had heroic exploits, like all all-stars should. I mean, if you're going to be an all-star, you should have some of those, those exploits. The thing is, with, with them, we don't really know what they were. Right? We don't know what they did, though as we read the text, and I will go ahead and do that, by the way, from Romans chapter 16, just verses 3 through 5. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So we know that if nothing else, he is a co-laborer. They are, I should say, co-laborers with the Apostle Paul. Now you might think of the word co-worker. Well, many of us have worked in an office and such and say, okay, here's my cubicle and I have co-workers. There are like 18 of them on the floor here and, you know, just, you, you work together and you share the same space of, you know, office space. I think it's a lot more than that with the Apostle Paul. It's not just even as we read in Acts, hey, they're all tent makers. So, you know, you got you got this connection immediately with someone who's done the same sort of work, just, you know, the, whatever, the manual work that... Uh, the work in the world to, to make ends meet and keep body and soul together and that kind of thing. So there's a connection there, but that's not what Paul means when he says they're co-workers or they're co-laborers. Co-laborer is a better word for us. We think of co-worker, and I say it's just a person in the other cubicle. But a co-laborer, that's someone you're digging with. That's someone you're working with. That's someone you're shoulder to shoulder and arm in arm, moving the same direction. And that's what it is here with Priscilla and Aquila and the Apostle Paul. Their friendship was forged through intimate Labors in the gospel. Their friendship was forged that way. They, it's not just, again, they were tent makers, they had these other things in common, but it's they were co-workers or co-laborers in Christ Jesus. So just think about that. How that, how that, that this, this relationship between Priscilla and Aquila on one hand, the Apostle Paul on the other, such a beneficial relationship. Such great benefit from this relationship, not just to them themselves, but to the entire church. Because they forged this relationship, laboring together for Christ. Do you have people in your life that you labor together with in Christ Jesus within your very family? Maybe in your marriage, I should hope so. 
as we are married in the Lord, not unequally yoked, that we labor together as husband and wife, but not just husbands and wives, certainly that, but within the family, and not just the nuclear family either, but uncles and, and, and aunties and grandmas and tutus and whatever else. That there's, there's room for us, indeed there's a call for us, to labor together in the gospel and to build those relationships, forging them in the labor of the gospel, even as Priscilla and Aquila, this Jewish Christian couple, and the Apostle Paul, the bachelor, uh, were able to come together and work in the gospel together. Now, we might talk about laboring together in this, like, just spiritual growth, just growing together. And I know some of you have that. We have relationships where you, you work on each other, you ask questions, and you, you, you want to see each other grow in Christ Jesus. Absolutely that. But also gospel work, taking the riches, the treasure of Christ that we have, and giving it away, finding people to give it to. You know, and God opens the heart. We can talk to a hundred people, and they'll all say no. They'll all turn away from Christ. They have nothing to do with Him until, of course, God opens their heart. And He does that, Christian, as we extend the gospel to them, whether from the pulpit, lectern, or from our conversations. Let's see, let's, let's purpose to have these friendships together in the gospel, toward the gospel ministry. Not just golf, not just football, golf, football, or fine, but the gospel. The very main thing in our lives, the Christ Jesus who has redeemed us. And even from there, you know, mission trips come to mind. Even short-term mission trips and other things where, where we have this experience together laboring in the gospel, and it does forge those spiritual friendships that are beneficial to us and to the church in time. So they were co-laborers. That's one of the heroic exploits of these all-stars, Priscilla and Aquila. But also, Paul says, they risked their necks for him. They put it on the line for him. Now he doesn't explain when. We don't know anything about how that happened. And we could use our imagination. And think, oh, how might that have looked? And have that use your imagination and think how that might have looked. How this, this couple risked their lives, risked their necks for the Apostle Paul himself and his, his ministry. But we also have to take a step back and realize that even if we want to understand this, if we want to know what Priscilla and Aquila have done and what Paul's referring to, God doesn't tell us. There's a lesson for us right in that. There are many things we'd like to know. There are many questions that we have. You'll often hear people talk that way. When I get to heaven, the first question I'm going to ask is, they got a question, they're going to ask God, right? It sounds like Job just a little bit. Uh, but Job so I'll just go ahead and put my hands over my mouth. If I had more hands, I'd put them there too. Um, and uh, and maybe, maybe after 100,000 years of praising and worshiping God, we'll get around to remembering the questions that we might have had uh, as we go by here. But nonetheless, we have a lot of questions in, in the way, on, on the way to heaven, on the way to eternal life. And God doesn't answer them all, does he? Not all the answers that we look for are in the scriptures. But all the answers that we need, Christian. All that we need for godliness in the Christian life is here in the scriptures, in Christ Jesus, for us. I'm thinking the second period, the beginning of the Everything we need for life and godliness is in Christ. And he feeds us by the word. He feeds us through the scriptures. And so, even if there are things we'd like to know, like, what did Priscilla and Aquila do? How do they risk their necks? What did they do? What's the story? Well, we'll get the story later sometime. But we don't have it now. And that's an example of many things in our lives where we want the answers. Maybe we just desire, a deep desire to have answers and understand something. And oftentimes there are struggles in our own lives. Why God is it like this? Why God has this entered into my life? Or why do I struggle with this? Or what's distorted in my flesh? But God doesn't answer except in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, saying, Trust me. 
Trust me. I gave up my son. I could give up nothing more precious than my son Jesus Christ for you. Trust me. So Christians, ask the questions of your God. But look for the answer in the scriptures and in Christ Jesus. And where God leads off, he'll fill in later. We can keep going. So they risk their next form. We don't know how. But it gives us at least the example that Paul gives us of how we would want to treat a minister like Paul. He's worth risking his neck, he's worth risking your neck for, for that gospel ministry that he brings to the, to the Gentiles. One thing that comes here is something we've talked about before, but our own expendability. Right? Priscilla and Aquila, this couple, this godly, faithful couple, knew that they were expendable, that they could be gone, they, they, could, they could disappear. Right? Even like John the Baptist says, let me decrease and him increase all the way down to nothing, all the way down to complete expendability. Christians, we serve Jesus. We serve Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He gave himself up to death for us. And if we can turn around and say, well, I can't give myself up to death for him, we got our signals crossed, don't we? Say, no, no, he gave himself up to death, the cursed and bitter death of the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me for you? So that you could turn around and recognize that you yourselves are like him. Signed over to death. Consigned to death. But knowing that God will raise us up again. Just like he raised up his son on the third day. The reason we're expendable and we can be happy about it. Is because Jesus has redeemed us body and soul and life and in death. And we can pour ourselves out for him. And lose absolutely nothing. Because it's all in Christ for us. Flip over to Matthew 19. Read what Jesus says here in this score. Starting at verse 27. And this is after the, after the incident where, uh, you know, as, as Jesus tells them, the mind-blowing thing is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples are going to gasp, uh, because who else is going to enter the kingdom of God except the rich man? Uh, and, they, and they said, well, who can enter? Who can do this? And Jesus says the most important thing of all of it, what's impossible with men is possible with God. God does this work. And so we get to verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? Here's the question, I think, to ask. We left it all. What's what's in it for us? Well, Jesus is very kind. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, is what the English Standard has, the, the word is regeneration, and it's the only use of the word regeneration as such in the Bible. Okay. Uh, we have other ways of talking about the new birth and things like this, but Jesus uses the regeneration here, and by which he does not mean your specific new birth. That you got born again. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the remaking of the world when, when Christ returns, right? The, the renovation of all things, new heavens and new earth. Okay, back to this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus, Christian, and listen, promises you, whatever you give up for him and for his kingdom, he will repay, and he knows, Christian, 
how to repay. You can take him at his word. And therefore, you can have open hands with everything. With everything. With your very life. With your marriage, with your children, with your home, with all the things that you enjoy, with the world and the pleasures of it. You can have open hands because Jesus says, I got your back. I got it all the way. You give up these things for me and for my kingdom, I'll pay you back a hundredfold and give you eternal life. But then he gives that warning, that cryptic warning. But many who are last shall be first and the first last. It kind of brings us back to the all-star idea. We got the high, the big shooters, the high-profile Christians, you bet. But what about just everyday Christians giving up parts of their life that they love for Christ, for his kingdom, and trusting him that he will repay? It's all for his glory, and he will repay us 100-fold. Christian, be excited about your heroic exploits, whatever they may be. They may be opaque to the rest of us. We might not even be able to see them, very much like Priscilla and Aquila's. We don't know. We don't know how they rest their neck. We just know they did. So Christians, go on an adventure. Serve the Lord. Give up everything in this world. I mean, we want to make sure we take care of the responsibilities we have, and that sort of thing. There's a balance there. But we have the choice and need to give things up for the Lord and for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We give them up, knowing full well we've lost nothing. And even gained a hundredfold beyond that, plus eternal life. So Christians, be excited by the heroic exploits that God has for you to do. Keep your eyes open for them. Be ready to serve the Lord with gladness, even when it hurts. Well, Priscilla and Aquila gave up certain things. They risked their necks. They're, they're, they're servants of the church. Uh, and that brings us to this third point, their church service. Now, that's kind of ambiguous. Do I mean the church service they offered in their home? Yeah, for sure. But also their service to the church. The service they offered to Christ, to his church and we see this Paul giving thanks here, going back to Romans 16 now. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Okay, so Paul gives thanks to them. We can say Paul gives thanks to God for them, but we can also say here Paul gives thanks to them. That's worth thinking about. Sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to receive gratitude. It's hard, to, it's hard to receive thanks. And we want to say, no, this is all the Lord. The Lord does this, and he did it through me, and you're welcome, but it's a gift from God. And that's right. We should, we should always defer to God and say, this is God's glory and his gift. But we should also learn how to give and receive gratitude one to another. For you are God's gift to me, and I you. I'm thankful for you. We should be thankful for each other in the body of Christ. And even thankful for the people we're not quite sure of in the body of Christ. Right? make us a little nervous, or we don't get along, or they're weird, or something like that. But they, this is the body that God has called together, and we need to thank God for that, and be thankful to one another for the service that we render. So thank you, as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, for supporting, attending to the ministry of the, of the Word of God and the worship of God. I thank God for you, and I thank you. And you should be thankful as well, one for another. Let's exercise this, this wonderful gift of gratitude, not just in giving thanks, and being able to receive it humbly as well and say, sure, it's all the Lord. Praise, praise be the name of God, but I appreciate your gratitude and I love you. You can extend that back and forth one to another. All the, not just Paul then, who had this personal reason. Right, they, they interacted with him in his life. They writ their necks for him, their co-workers and all that. Not just that. Paul has those reasons to be thankful to God and to them. But all the Gentile churches as well. All the Gentile churches as well. That ought to remind you of Paul's mission. 
What is Paul's apostolic mission? We've talked about this a little bit, going through the book of Romans. But to take the gospel to the nations. Not to build on someone else's foundation. Not to go uh, to a church where someone else had planted it and continue watering. So that's not my job. My job is to go and preach Christ where he's not been preached. Even to the very Gentiles and nations of the world, who, of course, before the New Covenant, were all lost in darkness. They're groping around in the darkness. We can read in Acts 17 as well. Uh, that God might give them repentance, but they're, they're groping around blindly. And Paul takes the light to them. He takes the gospel to them. That's his mission. And he says, you know, that's my mission as an apostle. Maybe different from the other apostles. But that's his mission to the, to the Gentiles. But Priscilla and Aquila are right there with him. Their aid to him, their succor and, and strength for him, as friends and co-laborers in the gospel, redounded to the glory of the Gentiles, the nations around the world, coming and hearing the gospel and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, giving themselves over to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Not the false gods of all the nations, not their ancestral gods, but the true and the living God, by the ministry of the Apostle Paul and here by the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila as well. These two were part of the initial stages of the Gentile mission of the Christian church. Again, we don't really see them. We kind of, again, they pop up a couple places in the New Testament, but not much. We don't see their work. But their work was done and used and continues to be used down through many long centuries. Now, I ask you, in your own regards, one thing to look back. We like to do this, look back at history and say, oh, those were seminal people. Right? And in this sense, there's this first generation. That's important. It is seminal. They're like the seeds. But don't you realize that you're seminal right now for 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now, and on and on and on. We don't know, Christian, you don't know the way God will use you, your words, your faithfulness, your care, your hands and feet, all the way down through the generations. You don't know. And my sense is we would be amazed, flabbergasted amazed, at the way God uses the simplest obedience of his people for generations to impact lives with the gospel, the truth of God's word, and with repentance and the fruit of repentance toward God. So if you can, somehow, as R.C. Sproul used to like to say, maybe still does, glance down the corridors of time. From your own standpoint, looking forward, and say, God, what, what could my faithfulness actually amount to in the generations, in the hundreds of years to come, as I faithfully love my wife, as I faithfully treat my neighbors, as I faithfully discharge my duties at work every day, and just keep slogging through this work, God. All of these things are, are faithful works in the hands of God, who, like Jesus, took those five loaves and those two fish and multiplied them out. So God will take you and your work and your mission that he's given you and multiply that out as well, just like Priscilla and Aquila. These folks, again, we hardly see, but we can feel down even through the centuries and generations these faithful uh, people, these faithful husband and wife. So think about your future and how God may use you. Dream about that. Think, wow, God, would you use me to impact generations and generations of Christians? To know you more deeply. To trust you more fervently. To give you service more readily. Would you use me to do that? And in our own lives, be ready to render that to God as well. Faithful service, faithful worship, and obedience. So the churches of the Gentiles, which is, say, the churches all around the world, around the Mediterranean at that point, but you can see it grows by the centuries, are thankful for this couple. 
We Gentiles who are far off, who have been brought near by the blood of Christ, are thankful for this couple and their faithful ministry in whatever capacity God gave them to minister and to work with the Apostle Paul in the evangelization of the whole world of the nations. But not only are they personally linked with Paul and, and helping that way, and that he's thankful and that the churches of the world, the Gentile churches, are thankful for them as well, but they have local service. It's not just, and sometimes we get lost this way, we get lost in the missions, we get lost in the enormity of the Christian mission and forget about the local congregation right here. That happens often enough. It may not happen to us, and it didn't seem to happen to Priscilla and Aquila because they had the church in their own home. We read that in 1 Corinthians as well. Now, we don't know, and this is, this is worth kind of thinking about because people talk about home church, and they mean various things by it. They don't necessarily mean what the scripture means in this particular case, which is the church met in their house. Right? They opened up their home uh, for the church to be able to meet. Now, that tells you that there's got to be more than one church in Rome, because they have to have an all big house and anything else. And you have to remember, of course, there's no public meeting spaces for Christians. Uh, it's not very long after this that Christianity is illegal. Right? So in AD 64, Christianity becomes illegal. Yeah, it's hard to find public spots to meet when you're an illegal religion, and you can't do it. So you've got to meet kind of in secret. You've got to be careful. And oftentimes it meet in people's homes. Now, a home church, in essence, isn't, isn't just, well, it might start this way, a Christian family is getting together and saying, we're going to try to worship the Lord. There's nowhere to worship. Things can start that way. But the idea is there will be the ordinary institution of the church with elders and deacons and the ministry, just like normal, just meeting not in a glorious little place like this, just in someone's home. Right? The regular in, in, you know, the regular functioning and trappings of the church just in somebody's home, and in this case, Priscilla and Aquila. So long before we had Christian meeting buildings, uh, again, we have to kind of use our imagination on this one as well, we'd meet Christians just meet in homes. Carry on the liturgy in, in, in someone's home. Uh, carry on the divine worship and, and the Eucharist and all that in, in the homes. Just the church functioning from a home. So we can see in Priscilla and Aquila, their commitment, not just to global missions, not just to the apostolic work and helping Paul out and risking their necks, but even trying to minister in that local capacity, having a church in their home. Loving the local church and serving the local church. We see that in Priscilla and Aquila. So these are some of the heroic deeds. These are some of the ways in which this couple, this glorious couple, a husband and a wife, were able to serve the Lord, bless the apostle, bless the missions of the church internationally, and also support their local congregation at home by housing and being opening their home. And let me just mention in that, that's an obvious application for us. We have homes. We have resources. And to try to think of this congregation, our congregation, we're bound together in Christ, how we can serve one another, how we can extend hospitality, how we can uh, serve one another and help one another with the gifts that we've been given individually or as families when it comes to the ministry of the local church. And so let, let this, I think, Priscilla and Aquila be in front of us as not only supporting that apostolic ministry, right? supporting that faithful apostolic ministry, which is what we get in the scriptures, but also looking to the great ministry of, of evangelism, making sure people around the world know that they've heard of Jesus Christ and who, who he is and, and the, the sin that we have in our lives and the overcoming of that and the death and resurrection of Jesus. But also then the ministry of the local church where, where the congregation gathers, lifts up their hearts to the Lord, worships the Lord, together and being able to serve and facilitate that as well. So we have this great full orb ministry, really, of Priscilla and Aquila here at the beginning of the Christian church. So they are definitely on the all-star team. 
They were the husband and wife of the early church that, among others, uh, very faithful. And their faithfulness evident down through the generations and even here in the text of Scripture as we read it. And we have to remember that's all of grace. It's not that Priscilla and Aquila were just better people than the rest of us and they served harder. It's a matter of grace. But grace makes us work. We'll read 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about the gospel. He says, okay, this first importance is the gospel. And he talks about that gospel. He says, now, I had to work harder than all the rest of them. I worked harder to get this stuff than all the other apostles. They all kind of got ahead of me. They traveled around with Jesus. They, you know, they understood this stuff. I had to work harder. But was, I was working harder, but, he says, it's the grace of God in me. Christian, if you perceive the grace of God to you in Christ Jesus, if you perceive the grace of God to you in the ministry of Christ Jesus, then know this. It's all of grace and get to work. It's all of grace and get busy and recognize as you're working that you're working by the very grace of God. It is God's grace through and through that moves us and makes us uh, suffer faithfully as Christians, makes us minister faithfully as Christians, makes us relate faithfully together as Christians and relate to the world as well. It's all of grace, but grace makes us work hard. And remember this also, that office is not needed for powerful Christian service. God has officers in the church, and they are needed there. We need faithful officers. Absolutely. What I'm saying, and what I want to leave you with is, you don't have to be an officer in the church to be a faithful Christian in ministry, serving the Lord, impacting not only the people around you that you love, but generations of people that you haven't met and haven't even thought about yet. That's how God operates, with our faithfulness that he gives us. It's grace upon grace upon grace for us in Christ Jesus. Amen.